Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Joining us here is Lauren McDonald and Matt Tusky. Thank you so much for joining us here again. This is going to be a real insightful one because I think if anybody's like, oh, what's going on? What, what's the EV space? Lauren and your team, you, you guys provide a lot of knowledge, insight, expertise, because you were founded in 2017. And that's like right kind of in that sweet spot of like, all right, you're you're like this EV archaeologist, like, gosh, damn, the son of a bitch did it. You're like Jurassic Park. The glasses are shaking, the ground, the water, right? So you're, you're right? Am I correct? In yeah, saying you yeah, like no, I mean, timing is everything, right? And so I actually tried to get into the EV space in 1995. And, uh, you know, so, know that. <laughs> yeah, that was in diapers. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, actually, I, um, uh, I submitted a, uh, application to us electric car. If, if any of your longtime listeners remember it's based in Sebastopol, California. And, uh, uh, I still have the postcard where they said, you know, you're imminently qualified, but we don't have any open positions at this time. And like six <laughs> months later, they went bankrupt. Right. So, okay, so, maybe it was so, so, you know, so I said, all right, I'll wait, you know, what, 23 years and maybe, you know, maybe it'll be the right, right time. And, uh, I, and I, I think it was in response to your, your setup, right. It's like definitely wasn't, uh, wasn't early, but wasn't late. I think I hit it right at the beginning of the, uh, uh, of the up, upward slope. Yeah. That, that sweet spot. So, I, I mean, you're yeah. plugged in, you're charged, you're ready to go. Uh, maybe even because it's, you know, we're, we're recording this on a Monday, wake up, ugh, get those things out, get some coffee going. You're charged up, uh, charge the charge way. Matt, what, what's your relationship like with Lauren and, and you guys go back, <laughs> you guys, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lucid hat on you, uh, Lauren. So I don't know, just kind of dive into it. Tell us, uh, go ahead and lie down, Lauren, give us your deepest thoughts. And Matt first. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt, Matt first. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren and I met uh, years ago. I, it was after I uh, pretended that Chevy was making an electric sports car. Uh, I think that's when, when Lauren and I first met. And uh, uh, it, we became, fa became fast friends because we both were just in the weeds on a lot of hot, like, what is happening? How can this be better on behalf of drivers? And what is the information they have at their disposal? What is the information that the industry has at their disposal to do better on behalf of their own companies and, and drivers as well? So it was kind of a, I mean, kindred spirits in that respect. And, uh, but we both just got a kick out of just, you know, where things were headed in the industry. And we, and we started the conversation early. And then as time has worn on, um, you know, Lauren has obviously proven to be, you know, kind of the brain trust of data as it relates to what's happening in EV charging and in the space. Uh, and also, you know, in vehicle sales and things of that nature. It's just a matter of, who, you know, people want to know what's happening with a lot of this information. And oftentimes you find yourself just bouncing around in different places and some things you have to take with a grain of salt. Uh, I think what Lauren has, has proven is that when, and again, his, his background, you know, he's with IBM for years. I mean, he's, he's understands, you know, research marketing, understands what the data needs to look like. So I, I've had a really good time getting to know Lauren over the years, understanding about how, how to really kind of sniff out the, um, where PR goes beyond PR and it becomes yeah. just like too much fluff. Uh, and I think Lauren's done a great job of making things black and white for a lot of these data points that are 
really are what's going to be the facts about how we move forward with EV adoption. And so at evadoption.com, that's what he's providing. So yeah. that's that's my two cents. But Lauren, you can yeah, say no, just, and just just to sort of add to that, uh, you know, Matt and I also uh, we we actually met up in Portland when I was up there uh, speaking at a, a digital marketing conference. And my previous life before EVs was actually as a marketing evangelist in the digital marketing space for, you know, companies like IBM and others. And so I was up there speaking at a Portland digital marketing conference and Matt and I, I don't even know how we found each other, but, but we met up, had a couple of beers, yeah. minimum, minimum of two. I won't say what the maximum was, <laughs> Whatever, but, dude. Um, it's a family, it's, but it's I think, a family you know, show. let's party. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I think part of why Matt and I really connected was, you know, he had like a branding agency, right? So we both had that sort of connection from kind of the, the marketing side and with a, with an insane focus on like customer experience and what is it going to take to get consumers to adopt? So we, you know, we didn't look at it from like a, you know, a technical perspective or anything like that. It was really kind of a customer facing customer focused, uh, aspect. And, um, you know, I, that's one of the key things I learned in my marketing career is, is, you know, it's all about the data, right? Mm -hmm. Like marketing fundamentally is marketers are like overloaded with, with data opens clicks, you know, uh, click streams, just, you know, like, uh, uh, lead jet, lead jet, like all that data. And, and that's what I sort of made a career out of like trying to understand that and simplify it down. That's ultimately what, what I did was I dumbed it down. I, I took all that sort of data that I was tracking and it made it simple. And I think that was sort of the key thing that I've done when I transitioned over in the EV space is not to try to overwhelm people and say I'm I'm smart or anything like that, but just really you're the, make you're the most sense. humble guy you know, Lauren. I get it. But ju but just make <laughs> you know try to simplify what the data is saying and make sense of it, right? And and bring it down and and then on top of that, add obviously some insight and and analysis because I think um, you know it's it's and I I know Matt, you saw my my recent post where I had the sort of hold my beer uh, meme on on LinkedIn talking about um, this sort of dichotomy between. All of a sudden, a bunch of the automakers are saying nobody wants to buy EVs anymore. We're cutting back on our, our plans. Meanwhile, the EV charging industry is like only pressing the pedal to the metal even harder. Right. Yeah. So there's this like they're they're looking at the EV industry through apparently different glasses. Right. Because <laughs> well, one 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 is saying this is eighteen forty nine, baby. Like the 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 there's 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 gold in them there hills, and, and the other industries going. Uh, you know, Joe in Montana has no interest in buying EVs, so we're cutting back on yeah. on our our EV plans and stuff. And uh, and we'll probably dive into actually uh, that. Uh, as we progress on uh, on today's podcast, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's it because there's speculation, right? And that's why yeah. I love having Matt on this because there's there's rhetoric, there's thing, and Matt does such a good job and that's why I love having him as, in particular episodes, having him as a co-host because some, we're having fun. We're talking to Pastrana about, you know, uh, Group E and talking about Nitro Cross or Von Gittin Jr., the Mach-E 1400. But when it comes to the business and the facts and the things, you need that because a company's just like you say, snake oil, or is it gold? Like, what what are we selling here? What we are selling is we have one planet, we like technology, we like cool stuff, 
and we want to experience cars. We're car guys. You know, it, it, I mean, sorry, I'm a car guy. I don't know if you read my hat. I'd rather be racing, right? Race service. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to SEMA show this week and what's the hubbub? What's going on? But the facts is what you hang your hat on and what you hang a company on. So kudos to you for having that foresight. And, and Matt, like I said, you, you do such a good job of not being contrarian, but being combative in a way of like, hey, you know, talking Matt to combative. <laughs> uh, don't, don't let the granola p and uh, fool them, right? Um, right. Yeah. yeah. But, I can, I can but that. that's like, like with Craig Lieberman, you were like, okay, well, that's just like your opinion, man. You're like the dude. And then, <laughs> and then you, and then you, and then you, but then you put on the sweater and you drink your white Russian and you're like, okay, here's the facts. And that's what, correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, that's what you're trying to create for companies to join arms and say, Hey, we're an asset. We have hard numbers. We have good info, good communique. And here it is. Is that, is that your ideal kind of, let's call it a consumer or client? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I mean, that's historically why companies have come to us over the last, whatever it is, six years now is, um, uh, is you know, is forecasts, is, is strong data and insight to actually understand what's going on. And, and historically, um, you know, our, our customers have been either trying to understand what the opportunity is right? Like they're, they're an EV startup or in the company EV space looking to get into it or their companies like oil changing companies and gas stations and stuff that are going, okay, you know, this is not impacting this transition to EVs is not impacting our business today, but we know it's going to. So help us understand when is that? Is that in three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is. So I've done a lot of forecasts for companies across all industries, helping them understand. Uh, and this will be a good time to sort of bring up one of my, my data points that I'm um, like, like to harp on, which is, which is what's called uh, VIO or vehicles in operation. Europeans and others call it car park, but it's, it's in essence, what is in the, the context of what we're talking about, what is the actual number and percentage of EVs that are actually on the road, right? Like everybody talks about the EV sales share. Oh, in America, it's it's 7%. It's, you know, California, it's 25%, whatever it is. That's fascinating. That's one barometer of the uptake. But if we're actually trying to reduce carbon emissions, right. Then what really matters is what percentage and how many of the vehicles on the road are not emitting those carbon emissions. And right now it's like we've just hit one percent. Yeah. Right. So oh, out of right. out of two hundred and eighty five million light passenger vehicles on the road today in the U.S., one percent of them are fully electric. Yeah. Right. No, so, wow. you know, so and and you know, as that sales share starts to increase, right. And we, we head towards that sort of 50% goal by, by 2030, then the, the uptick of VIO starts to, to, to speed up, but fundamentally we might only be at like 12% or something like that. Right. So let's just, just round it off and say, you know, if, 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 if we continue to, to grow pretty significantly we could get it about to one out of uh, every 10 vehicles on the road in the U.S. in 2030 is, is fully electric. Um, and, you know, that's a good start, but that means 90%, 90%, 90 
you know, are like these 25 year, you know, are, are a lot of them are these 20, these 25 year old gas guzzling pickups and stuff like that. Right. And well, so, I'm, yeah, go ahead, Matt. No, I was gonna say, as you're, as you're discussing that, I think this is what gets back to, you know, the different industries that are getting involved with the EV space and that are asking you questions about, okay, how do we get involved? Who are, where do we fit in this narrative, right? Whether if you're talking to a gas station that has convenience stores, the way that, and the way that they fit in and the role that they play is fundamentally different from how a hotel chain fits in right. because the value proposition they provide is different, but they can play in the space. And then it depends on then saying, okay, what, where are vehicles then associated to dwell time at a resort or a hotel as it compares to a gas station, whether the, the gas station is then urban or rural. So a lot of the data that you're just weeding through on behalf of a lot of these clients that you work with, that's the, that's the interesting aspect of this. And, and again, this is where I become the broken record for the guy that's been doing this now for the better part of a decade, which is <laughs> it keeps coming back to the fuel. That's right. the point. And the idea that the automakers are now saying, yeah, you know what? This whole demand thing, poof, geez, you know, we're going to have to just dial it back a notch here. I keep asking that question of, how many people are walking into those showrooms demanding a vehicle that runs on a new fuel type? That's it's still not there. The public is not walking in saying, you know what? Someone expressed the value to me of the idea that I can go on a road trip with my family, stop at this flying J and fill up in 15 minutes and stop at this Marriott and fill up while I'm parked overnight. And it's going to be cheaper than if I was using gasoline. That narrative still does not fundamentally exist in the buyer's mind. And, and so all these reasons by which the auto sector can take a step back, I then peek into the energy sector and go, what you doing? And we got BP saying, well, we're going to drop $100 million on Tesla hardware now. And I go, okay. Now, this, Lauren, gets back to one of your points, yeah. which is what is that going to look like then in 10 years, which is who are the logos and the brands and the players Ooh. inside the fueling space, right? Own that yeah. space, right? Yeah. And no, that, that's, and, yeah sorry, real quick. Um, that's, you know, you look at Extreme E, and again, I always kind of bring it back to more of enthusiasts, make it more digestible. Here you guys are, and don't, don't take this as slanderous. I think being a nerd in something <laughs> is a compliment, you know? So <laughs> being, no, but being an EV nerd, right? It's like, now it's like, Okay, no, you don't. You don't have a monocle on. Relax. Um, um, I, but but dialing it back down, I love I love the way you're going because we're talking about EV. But then let's go into other right like fuels and stuff. Obviously, there's electrified, but Extreme E, that off road racing series that's international. They're looking into hydrogen, right? Like, sure. what? Why? Why are they going to E? Well, there's another agenda of hydrogen. So there's 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 this progression. So I I really find that interesting, and that's a fun fact for. I just learned that, you know, there's, I didn't know that amount of money was being invested by BP. Oh, and that's, again, you, yeah. you make the, you know, you don't yeah. make the toilets, you don't sell the toilets, you sell the toilet paper. Well, the, <laughs> you know well, what I mean? the, yeah, there, there was a lot to unpack with, with what Matt said, but um, I'll, I'll throw out another, another digit here, which is um, uh, 61% of the winning bid site hosts in the NEVI program. So the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program. For those listeners that don't know what that is, that's the, the $5 billion uh, program that the federal government is allocating out to each state. And seven states to date have actually announced uh, award winners, about 160 uh, of those. And 61% of those site, those uh, winning bids the site host, in other words, where the, the charging infrastructure is going to be located, has been at convenience store slash truck stops, travel centers, however you want to refer to, or even if you want to call it a gas station, right? So uh, it's it's been Wawa, Sheets, Circle K, um, uh, Pilot, 
BP really? Pulse, right, et, et cetera. And and I, you know, when I when I share this with people, people like I, I did an interview with a reporter on Friday. She's like, "Ooh, like I don't want to hang out at a at a you know at a gas station convenience yeah. store chain." And I'm like. You know, yeah, us here in in California, maybe we don't go hang out at at uh, at convenience stores, but in like the Midwest and back yeah. east, like you know, the Wawas and the Sheets and things like that. You know, like look at Bucky's, man. Bucky's, Bucky's, Bucky's has, right? Let's go kick it at a Bucky's, man. I mean, you right? can like, see there all day. It's like the Mall of America with the, the like, filling. Like station. they're <laughs> they're not they're not gas stations anymore. They're like uh-huh. convenient. They're convenience stores with salad bars and sushi, and yeah. you know six dollar la- lattes and stuff. <laughs> Korean yeah, barbe- How about Korean barbecue? Let's go. And you know what? Yeah. And think about that. That's that's that. I'm gonna get back here to. So it's conditioning. It's conditioning. And I and you know you you don't use that word, but that's something that comes to my mind when we talk about. Yeah just that shift you know and again lauren's got a lucid hat on i said at the top of the show i'm excited to hear like his stance on story yeah on on who yeah on on why or who or what but but you know conditioning and convenience right like you said Mm -hmm. if you were told you can kick it for 15 minutes and again miss go electric she said it really well it's just that different level of thinking charge primarily at home percentages say and your stock you know and your inventory will say this you know your your studies there lauren um courtesy of ev adoption that's why again reminding people why they're here but you, you know that's it's convenience and it's conditioning so yeah and no well, just 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 to finish up the thought on the sort of the convenience store uh, mm-hmm. aspect is you know and and part of the reason why they're dominating in the Nevi program is they have they check all the boxes that the Nevi program requires, yep. right? Which is, you know, safe, well lit, open twenty four hours, ba- bathrooms. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the states are actually asking for Wi Fi, things like that, close mm-hmm. to the highway. You know, the, and so, um, you know, and they've got the they've got the food, right? They've they've got sort of all all of the the things that the Nevi program is actually in the states are sort of rewarding. But um, you know, the the other part of this is Matt touched on is uh, not only they have the great locations, but they they actually do have the things you can do for 20, 30, 40 minutes, right? Because most of us, I mean, I don't want to sit in my car and 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 play video games on my Tesla. Apparently, a lot of people do, but that's not what I want to do. I actually want to go in and and have a nice meal or, or, or whatever it is, use the, the restroom, check my, my email, you know, do some stats, create some charts while I'm sitting there, whatever it is. But, but, but fundamentally those convenience store chains uh, are, are set up for this. And they already understand to Matt's point, they, they've been in the fuel business for like a hundred years. So they understand low margin uh, businesses, they understand that that nowadays people go to a, a gas station slash convenience store chain to get like a six pack of beer, to get their cigarettes, to get the lotto ticket, to get to get the the sandwich, right, to get the Slurpee, to whatever it is. And oh, by the way, while they're there, they add sixteen gallons of, of gas, right? Yeah. And and so this transition uh, for them to 
oh, instead of you know putting in the 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 nozzle, you put in the connector. The dwell time is just longer. The dwell time goes from five to seven minutes to to thirty to to forty to forty five minutes, mm-hmm. and that's why the sort of the food aspect and the nice environments and tables and Wi Fi and safety and lighting and all those things are are going to be key. So, um, well, it's interesting too because yeah. what you're bringing up so often has been discussed in the last five even ten years, which was gas stations need to be adding chargers. That's where we should put them. Put them in gas station. And I always kept saying to people, look. Until there's a competitive experience that can right. happen at that gas station, there is no point. And this gets back to where has technology gotten to? We're finding a place, and, and the Nevi funding and, and the and you know the benchmarks you have to meet in order to get those dollars is based on what what is the technology at, and what do you need to be offering up to a driver to make it so that it is a 30 minute stop. And we're yeah. finally at a place where the technology has gotten to both on vehicle side and charging side that okay, that is. Now, something we can roll out a little bit more evenly, whereas in the past it was, well, we have a fast charger we can put at a gas station, but the dwell time on that is going to be an hour and 45 minutes or two hours to fill up your electric car. And I'm thinking, mm, no, that's okay. Put that at a mall or a movie right. theater or something. Now, how many movie theaters and malls are along the highway if you're driving across America? There you go. So it's like we've finally now a place where, okay, the dwell time and getting to what uh, to what Lacey said about convenience and and conditioning is yeah if I got to stop after driving for three four hours and I pull in and I I'm gonna charge up in thirty minutes or so you know thirty to forty minutes restroom break kids get a break we get some food we come back and we are on the road again and that's the part that's interesting is if you look at how some of the Phillips work at some of these gas stations that have you know monster stations with right. hundreds of pumps you fill up but then you just kind of go park and you go and do the other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and so it's essentially the same thing. It's just you're yep. not moving your car as fast. And so, but it, we, we, it took the iterations that we're at is we're now here where the technology can provide and offer this. But every day there still are chargers being installed around the U.S. that are not within the, you know, the, the, the nevy boundaries of what it provides you as an experience. So this is where people still have to navigate what those options still look like. So. Yeah, and to, and and kind of to the the other other point, right? I I refer to the difference between refueling a a, a a gas car and electric car and that infrastructure as centralized versus distributed, right? It's a completely mm-hmm. completely different paradigm, right? With 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 a gas car, it's centralized, right? Nobody has gas stations at home. There's not gas stations at hotels or there's not gas stations at the shopping mall or movie theater, or whatever we go to a gas station slash. Now we don't call them gas stations anymore. They're, they're pretty much all convenience stores with gas stations, but you know, and this is, I think, and this is why what Matt is doing is so important, right? He's fundamentally razor focused on this sort of education, educating people on sort of a different process of refueling, right? It's a, it's about the fuel and stuff. And you still talk to most newbies, most people that are considering an EV and, you know, their perception, their paradigm that they compare to is that centralized gas station. Like I was just, I was just, you know, chatting with it with an old coworker from like literally 40 years ago uh, on LinkedIn last night. And he's like, yeah, I'm considering EV, but there's not enough charging stations. And I'm like, dude, like, what what's your travel like? He goes, Oh, I rarely go more than 80 miles. I'm like, well, do you have a home, you know, with a plug, (laughs) right? Like, you know, he, he, 
exemplifies, you know, 98% of, of Americans that don't yet understand that, no, you know, you are, you don't actually probably need charging stations, right? Most well, of the time a, you're going to charge, you're going to charge at home and yeah. yeah, and it's, and it's, it's when you go to target, right? It's, it's, it's when you go to the hotel, it's when you go to the shopping mall, the supermarket, all those things you can plug in. Like I have this, this, the saying Matt and which is, uh, you know, charging is parking or parking is charging, right? Any, you know, cars, ways. most cars will sit 23, you know, 22 to 23 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. All well, of that time can be, it can be plugged, the car, the, an EV can be plugged in and, and replenished. Yeah, it's, it's that psychological shift of I have to go find my fuel. And because I have to be inconvenienced to have to go find it, it better be pretty damn fast. <laughs> and so like that's we've had that conditioning for 100 years. And so it, it is a reimagining of how to engage with the fueling experience and how to fit it into different aspects of your lifestyle. And I think that the, the thing you bring up about just you know where people can go find their charging and how people live with it. I, I'm still I'm at a place where I still think that you know we've got 50% of the U.S. that has a house, the garage, or a driveway. That's yep. the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, those people could be urban or rural, and that's the most interesting thing about that is if you have a, a rural experience or you have a farm where you park your truck at night, the chances are you're going to be in a pretty good spot to be an EV driver. But mm -hmm. it's the concept of no, you don't understand. Like I have to go to the gas station into town to get my fuel for my truck. I mean that's what I got to do, and and that's a yep. lot. It's like, yeah, but you know what? You have waiting at your ranch every time you go home when the lights are on. That same thing that makes the light bulb turn on is what's going to fill up your truck. That's where the auto sector just still is not embracing how to have that conversation fundamentally. And it'll be interesting to see how the fossil fuel sector starts to pick up on we can create the fuel narrative because they weren't doing it because also at the same time, they still don't make the fuel. They, they will be branding the fueling experience. That's kind of weird. I think it's a captive audience too. This is again, oh, yeah. redesigning, you know, I mean, look at movie theaters, right? Like they were just go to the movies, you see a moving picture, you do this. Now you got to, I don't know what the financing rates, you take a family of four, you know, <laughs> you got the, you got the food, you got the drinks. I mean, reclining people are bringing their blankets and their stuff, their stuffed animals. So it's a, it's a totally or, different order a glass of wine and they bring right. it to, oh, your, no, to your seat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that whole shift and with the sushi oh, that you don't like. Oh, with the with the yeah. with the day old sushi. Um <laughs> discount 50% off. Uh, we'll see if you can sit in that movie theater the whole time. But again, just that that mental shift and that block. I you know, I mean, I'm I'm literally about to drive to Vegas here in a moment after we finish this podcast for a SEMA show. So are you taking Craig? Because you can show him how an EV works <laughs> on the way to Vegas. I'm not, great. but I know that's that's always there's that stop. Uh, the in and out and there's the factory outlets. So factory mm -hmm. outlets were those malls that would pop up uh, like just growing up in California. Oh, they're, they're popular for EV charging. Yeah. Exactly. I've, I've, so that's, I've, I mean, they can remember they like, well, I grew up in San Diego, moved to Arizona for 15 years now back in Southern California in uh, inland empire. So anyways, but factory outlets were just a place to go. And then things kind of change shifting. They're like, Oh, they're not outlets. Now it's just its own business. You know, it's kind of like Nordstrom's rack was, it was off the market, but no, anyways, all that being said is there's, there's going to be a shift of, of that experience. And, and, and that's, I think that's a big opportunity and education for anybody listening to this. Just like I have these aha moments when I, when I get mad on here, cause you got such great education, but anybody that's interested or nervous about EV. And I liked what you said there. It's not just like, Oh, I want to get into EV. What does this look like? You talked about that 1%. 
it's it's not just this big looming threat of EV and batteries. And you see some people of interest that are saying rhetoric, like I'm not going to name names, but I'm like, well, batteries, like they're wasteful and this and that. You're like, bro, you're 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 attacking the wrong person right now, man. Like, think about <laughs> this, right? Would you agree with that, guys? Well, yeah, I think no. the thing that, well, I mean, I'll, if you don't mind, I, I think the purity test problem is is a huge issue is the idea that anything we do technologically that's different, it has to pass its purity test. And on one hand, you have the information that comes out from the EV side of the conversation saying it's zero emissions, it's just 100% better. It's an iterative process to get to a place for how we fundamentally use energy. There are still areas where it is not, not still areas, there are areas where it'll, it'll never be perfect. You, you have to you know, crack a few eggs to make these omelets kind of thing. It's about how do we you know, manage energy and use energy and what is the overall impact of what we're doing to then use that energy. And at the end of the day, if you're burning, digging up something and burning it and it just goes into the atmosphere, th that, is, that is a terrible cycle. Whereas if you're digging up minerals, making batteries that you then use and then can reuse again and again and again and again, that's a closed carbon loop. Now that's a different way of thinking about energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Matt, Matt, kind of to your to your point, a lot of the the, the myths out there, right? So um, to fill in the blank with where I think you were sort of hinting at is there there are a few markets in the U.S. like West Virginia, uh, uh, I think it's is it Wyoming and or a couple where where their grid is like ninety percent plus coal, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at uh, Union of Concerned Scientists and um, uh, um, I'm I'm having a brain fart and forgetting the name of the the government uh, research lab NREL whatever, you know th they'll say that you know literally every state in the U.S. except for those those couple that are like ninety percent coal. If you look at the emissions life cycle, yeah. plug in plug in hybrids and BEVs actually reduce you know have a, a smaller carbon footprint if if you will. But one of the things that I always point out is because uh, one of my favorite data points that I track is, is EV sales and EV sales share by state, right? Those states, not so coincidentally, that have the lowest EV adoption rate in the U.S. are also the ones, one exception is Colorado, but all the other ones, they also have the lowest rate of they have the the lowest rate of of ev adoption and they also have like the the highest but, share of the, the grid is coal right yeah and, the dirtiest electricity yeah yeah, uh, yeah and and so my point is that yes like you're actually technically better off to drive like a, a high a regular hybrid if you live in west virginia and wyoming whatever those couple of of heavy coal states mm -hmm. are but B, nobody in those states drive EVs, right? right? It's so tiny that it's kind of irrelevant. But but then the second part of that is, is obviously those grids are going to change, right? Like the cost of coal is just, um, is, you know, is climbing. The cost of solar is a, solar is a technology. It's, it's, it's like the old Moore's law, right? It's not quite as extreme as that, but solar tends to get, um, I mean, there's been some bumps because of supply chain issues, but but it, it tends to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So why uh, why do you have the lucid hat on? Why, why do I why? have the the yeah. lucid hat? Is um, uh, I've uh, I live about thirty five minutes from Lucid's uh, headquarters down okay. in um, uh, God I'm blanking on on the name, but it's it's near Fremont. They're not not far from. Um, 
from from Tesla, but why am I I I can't remember why I'm talking about so, uh, they're they're in Southern California, correct? Uh, Newark, Newark. No, they're in northern. I'm so up in 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 the San Francisco Bay Area, so they're right. in Newark, California, which is next door to Fremont and and Tesla. But um, so I've been down there. Uh, was actually at their global reveal uh, back in. Uh, 2019, I think it was, of, of the Lucid Air, whenever it was. So I've been down there, interviewed Peter Rawlinson and the executive team several times. And then um, uh, they uh, flew me down, uh, me and a hundred other close personal media friends uh, down to their uh, Arizona factory uh, down in Casa Grande uh, a couple of years ago and stuff. So to deliver him his sapphire in person or something. Yes, ex- exactly. And oh, on great. on one of those three trips, I I got got this 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 hat. Um, but uh, b- big fan of 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 Lucid. They obviously have some scaling up challenges and some marketing perception issues around the cost of the Lucid mm-hmm. Air Pure. Uh, et cetera, because nobody knows it's like less than ninety thousand dollars. They all think the that all of the lucid airs are one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and that's their fundamental problem right now. Mm-hmm. And Peter knows it, and they I don't think they've figured out um, quite yet how to change that perception. It's interesting. I had a conversation with someone from Lucid at one point, and and this is it was a couple of years ago now, but they they commented on the fact that they felt that a lot of the first buyers they would have would be experienced EV owners and mainly a lot of Tesla owners is people that just had a background in EVs and they wanted probably to probably true. Yeah. 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 And I, I was like, oh, I think that's, a, I think it's a safe assessment, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like what Tesla went through is you still have to break, you break through to that first early adopter group that wants the new technology or they have the dollars to buy something fancy, whatever it might be, but you still have to grow into, you know, down into the market. And to your yeah. point, They've got a really great vehicle that's on the market for not $160,000, but there's this, this knowledge gap in what it is. I think Lucid as a brand, most people still perceive it as being just this hyper high-end vehicle. Yep. And yep. when you get in one, boy, does it feel that way. But how do they then take that hyper high-end branding and then try to you know get it down into what feels like an approachable and attainable product? I think that is, yeah, there's a huge yeah. message. So, so, so Matt, yeah, let's, let's, let's. Let's figure out. Let's tell t- uh, Lucid right here and right now what they <laughs> what they need to do, and and you know as we're both we're both branding marketing guys. I mean, I think they should have they should have rebranded the the pure model like sort of differently, right? Because I think because yeah. if because if you if you look at the progression Tesla made as an example, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they went S X three Y right, but but you know. Nobody thought, well, I wouldn't say nobody. Most people were aware that the three and the Y cost like half of what the S and the X did, right? Like there yeah. wasn't there wasn't that confusion, right? The problem yeah. with with the the air pure is like it's like well, air it's pure, 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 pure air, air pure, you know, like what they, they yeah, had pure like six, touring, grand touring, sapphire. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, they had all, like all manufacturers are messing up their own brands. It was so dialed BMW and Mercedes, and it was like, oh god, okay, BMW is the worst. The worst. I, now like there, there's acronyms like carry the one, but yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, you're you're you're, you're exactly right because I, I I had to go to Lucid's website and I'm looking at it. You know, the pure rear wheel drive from seventy seven thousand, the touring from ninety five, Grand Touring one hundred twenty five, Sapphire two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, the yeah. thing is sick. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. But oh, yeah. where, when when do they make the molecule? You know, like when is the lucid mon- molecule going to happen? You know, that's the that's the three, right? So let's 
right? We're doing well, it. We're, I, we're... But I think, yeah, that's the point that, that Lauren was, I mean, again, it was easy for, let's be honest, people look at things at face value and they can kind of grasp things and they need to grasp things quickly. The mm-hmm. three is the miniature version of the S. Yep. Yep. I mean, that thing is, is lucid by pricing the pure so low, It, but at face value, if you just don't know what you're looking at, you can look at it and go, wait, is that their hundred and $60,000. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, the, the, the issue of just, a, you know, simple elements of like, it's the same exact platform, the same exact vehicle, I think is what really challenged making that possible. And frankly, Tesla ran into the same problem when they had the, they had the, you know, the model S 60, they had a model S 40 kilowatt hour battery pack right. at one point way back in the day. And mm-hmm. basically it just was one of those issues of, yeah, the people buying this thing don't want it that cheap. The people that do want cheaper, they're just going to need to get into a different car. And they're going to need to have it packaged differently so they understand it differently. Um, so well, it'll, it'll be curious to see how they, they, they figure it out. So. Well, Toyota has Our, a Toyota-thon. And, uh, uh, excuse me. Sorry, Lauren. Toyota has a Toyota-thon. And Lucid has the Air Autumn Air event. It's coming up. It's autumn. Air, I, people autumn. don't know when autumn is, especially if you live in California. I don't know what autumn is. Do you? It's when, the, it's when all the leaves turn brown. Is that between fall and winter? Is that between fall and winter? There's only two in California, but anyways, sorry, I got to rip, I got to rip a joke. We got to have some fun here. Yeah. Well, no, but yeah. that's a good point. It's just, it is on one hand, it is, it is truly a high end luxury brand, but you're trying to price it down into a place where you're bringing people up into that, that at face value, they just think I can't do that anyway. And on top of that, the people that you want that are spending that type of money, again, this gets back to, are they demanding a car that runs on a new fuel or are they seeing that loose is just unattainable? There's a lot of different things to unpack with that from a psychology perspective. So. I, I think just like not not to to beat a dead horse on the on the lucid uh, pricing and uh, sales issue is I think the other unfortunate thing is like when I the first time I interviewed Peter Rollinson the CEO there um, he said yes we don't actually see you know Tesla uh, as a competitor right we we're going after the the Mercedes S class yeah and yeah. it made perfect sense. And at the time, Mercedes didn't have an electric S-Class version. Guess yeah. what? Like, what was it, 18 months no, ago? Really? They came out with the EQS, right? Yeah. So unfortunately, and Audi's got their high-end uh, uh, sedan models, right? So, the, the you know, part of the problem was when, when they were first looking at launching this, the, the Model S was actually really the, on, the only sort of competitive high-end electric yeah. model if you will right and then unfortunately there's like and you had the porsche right uh, uh Taycan, and you know if you're looking to spend over a hundred thousand dollars for a you know quote unquote sedan or whatever you have a lot more choices today than you did back when they were launching so i think oh my the, God, other, yeah. the other problem they had uh was that by the time they sort of launched and got it to sort of to scale um the number of people who can afford to buy a hundred plus thousand dollar electric sedan had already been kind of captured, (laughs) right? We've sort of burned through most of those people, right? And so there's just not enough volume left. Yeah, we can't keep having people buy hundred thousand dollar cars into perpetuity. At some point, the general public goes, hi, really quick. What about me? Yeah, what about me? And, I yeah. think, and also this gets, this gets back to too, something I read uh, over the weekend as it relates to you know, where GM is at on their EV planning and, and how the, the joint relationship with Honda has now separated out. Um, and I think it gets back to the fact that, I think I was written, but it was basically is what the legacy auto brands that have really relied heavily on trucks, 
they said, well, this is our bread and butter. This is what we're going to build out to capture that market. Whereas in reality, they should have gone for something that was more so in the vein of, hey, do you want an entry-level vehicle that is electric? Oh, you mean like the Bolt? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Let's let's get rid of this car that sells like gangbusters. Just, I mean, yeah, I think that- it, It's going to be the, a, excuse me for interrupting, Matt, but the Bolt yeah. is going to be the second, or the, excuse me, the third highest selling EV in the US this year, and they're getting rid of it, right? So, if that doesn't yeah. if that doesn't speak to a just a lack of understanding about where they can apply the technology, but I think at the end of the day it's also business. It's the idea yeah. of okay, do we have the ability to even make money off of any of these things? Well, if we apply it to a truck, we can sell it for higher dollar value. We can try to recoup some of that R and D cost. I get that, but at the end of the day, is it a functionally useful product based on the types of buyers that want that vehicle? And truck owners, to a large extent, are saying. Unless that thing's at 500 miles of range, and when I hook up my trailer to it, it gets zapped yeah. in half to 250, then I might be interested. But if you're selling a truck that gets 300 miles of range and it gets zapped, zapped to 140, 150 with tr towing and cold weather, you've lost me. Yeah. And I look at that. Yeah. Yeah. C c call me when, when you can hit those higher numbers, right? Well, and, and, and physics yeah. is physics. I'm sorry, yeah, but if yeah. you're driving something that's shaped like a Lego, it's not going to have great aerodynamics. Yeah, yeah. And so there's all these things that are playing against it that I think I really, again, they've invested millions, billions into getting where they are already in this game to catch up with what Tesla had kind of set the stage for. And Tesla, ironically enough, went from saying, we're going to build small car roadster to sedan to SUV to smaller sedan. Now they're kind of, okay, now we're leaning into truck. It'll be very interesting to see. I mean, Cybertruck is polarizing no matter what way you paint yeah. it. But if they have the numbers, if they really have the numbers, it'll be interesting to see how well that plays with the truck crowd. Yeah, yeah. And and Matt, back to the, uh, I'd, I'd love to dissect sort of the GM Ford uh, mm -hmm. announcements recently of, of you know, cutting back on their plans and stuff. Because one of the interesting things, I, I had an opportunity to go out to, to, to Detroit and GM uh, a couple of times and hear Mary Barra speak, et cetera. And she, she said something um, back in, this is like 2017 or something, which was pretty eye-opening when she was talking about the, the Bolt, in that GM's strength was in the middle of the country. In other mm -hmm. words, that, that, that the GM brands did extremely well inside the coast, right? Yeah. Truck people, just, you know, the, the sedans, whatever it was, they, they did really well. They did not do well on the coast, right? Like out here in California where I am, it's like, you know, we're dominated by like the Japanese brands, Toyota, et cetera, before, you know, before Tesla came along. Um, and she said, the Bolt is actually the first car that we're really actually getting traction on, on sort of the coast, right? Yeah. So, the, you know, my point with this is, is, you know, Ford came out in their press release and basically saying, oh, you know, people do not want to spend the additional costs that, you know, the, the, uh, that, that it costs uh, for, a, for an EV, right? They don't want to spend that additional money and stuff. Well, that's because you're, you know, to my point, they're looking at the middle of the country buyers, like that's their problem. Right. Yeah. The, the people in the middle of the country who traditionally buy Chevrolets and Fords and stuff are not are not ready. They will they will not pay that that additional cost. Right. Whereas the people, the, the people yeah. in Oregon, Washington, California, New York, New Jersey, you know, yeah. uh, uh, et cetera, actually will. Yeah. Right. And, and so, the, you know, so in one way, they're not really lying. Right. But you have to sort of pull back the covers and go, well, 
maybe you need to think about where, where you're selling these vehicles and how well, you're selling them. Right. GM sales numbers in China were down like 42% in Q3 or something like that. I, I saw that and I, my eyebrows went to the back of my head. I went, that <laughs> is scoffed. a very frightening thing to read. Well, that's, because, that's happening. Yeah. That's happening to everybody. Right. Because yeah. uh, I mean, that's, we could, we could get on that as a whole separate topic, but the big, the big, uh, you know, the, the, you know, China is coming. Um, they're already here, right, with Volvo and Polestar and stuff. But um, the the big the big thing going on with China, obviously, is is their demand. They, they're they've crossed that chasm into the mainstream, and so it's starting to slow down a bit. Um, and with so much government funding behind it, and several of the largest EV automakers in China being sort of government backed, et cetera. They're actually producing way too many EVs, right? So now they're they're exporting them to Europe, uh, and we're going to start to you know eventually see them come to to North America. The big big talk now is is that they're going to do a Trojan horse strategy: is go in and into Mexico, right? Build factories no. in, in Mexico, and then they can meet the the you know the uh, the IRA. Uh, uh, manufacturing requirements, you know, Canada, U.S., Mexico, right? Import them in or, or, or across the uh, the border, et cetera. There's a, so, there's, a, there's a branding challenge for that too, like BYD, Neo, and others that you know that could end up coming to the states that way. I think that and this is where it gets back to even th thinking about. Jared we're going to come back to branding here, Matt. We're gonna, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah, it's all but, always branding. But some of these conversations <laughs> that we we always end up having is it's the, there's this there's this understood element of how people perceive in America perceive and appreciate transportation and automotive branding and how people will go and buy brands. Uh, and I, what was, I read uh, something yesterday about someone with the you know, Toyota BZ4X was someone who, you know, had it in a charging station and they, and they didn't really understand what they were doing. And someone was trying to help educate them. And they said, you know, what I just realized though, is the person that's buying this particular vehicle is they're just buying a Toyota because it's a Toyota. They don't necessarily right. understand any of the technology, they just, they've always trusted that Toyota brand. And that's what a lot of these legacy brands are leveraging amidst trying to transition into a new technology. And this, frankly, is, is where there's that consternation for people that are very passionate about those brands, because on one hand, they want to keep buying that brand, but then they have an experience that they end up going, this, gosh, this wasn't the whatever X brand I always expected it would be. What, what now? And it's like, well, that's more, that's both branding and it's also product in the sense of what is the technology doing? So I don't know, Jerry, it just makes you think about the conversation we have with Craig in the sense that he looks yeah. at it and just says, well, these are reasons why I'm a naysayer against this new stuff because I'm a believer in the brands I've always known. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, and it, and there is that shift of that and also taking, you know, designers at Lucid, what are they doing there? What, you know, they are elevating that. And I love that what you said there, Lauren, about we're not competing with other Tesla or EVs and Tesla. We're competing with S class. So, and right. I, you know, I, I thought you were ignoring me, but I was on mute, but uh, just <laughs> going, just going down and looking at all these manufacturers, BZ4X, right. As you said, but Kia, Hyundai, I mean, bro, the Ionic, like that is, and and the Kona Electric, you know, and Volkswagen ID, you 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 kind of know what you're stepping into as far mm. as your your brand loyalty and and we know just saying the manufacturers, we know what to expect from build quality, right? And and oh, yeah. a lot of manufacturers get scrutinized, fit and finish on interior. That's just just the car build. Let's not even talk about the power plant. So when you go into Kia and Hyundai those companies secretly have just grown. You know, you look at Genesis as a brand. 
holy yeah. cow everybody's like that's a bootleg i'm like well what is a chrysler 300 that was a bootleg bentley right that was that was a bootleg bentley but then you look at genesis they're they're executing fit and finish you're getting yeah. a, a a value you're getting all of the things that you want oh and then by the way now we're doing electric so that yeah. is that is them just slowly creeping up like you said you know here's here's me actually it's, going it's, to mexico I, I would say it's not slowly. They're they're actually no, they're, rapidly. <laughs> they're know, actually but... more than creeping. So, but yeah, let's so let's yeah. talk about uh, Hyundai Motor Group, mm -hmm. right? Hyundai, Kia, Genesis, right? Yeah. They are they are now combined number number two as far mm -hmm. as uh, EV volume in the U.S. after Tesla, right? So you know, not to pick on uh, the the big Detroit two. We'll, we'll leave Stellantis. We'll, oh wow! We'll, we'll leave we'll leave Stellantis out for the moment because um, they haven't issued any press releases saying that I've that I uh, have have caught that they're cutting back. Keep but, my name out your mouth, Lauren. Slap <laughs> <laughs> coming at coming at you. But Lauren's it's like, like, like I didn't watch the Oscars. No, okay. <laughs> but I mean, I I I get that we want to be profitable and we have to continue to deliver to sort of our existing customer base and stuff. But my God, you know, in three years from now, you know, who who's going to be the who are going to be the like the the top selling uh, uh, automakers as far, as far as EV volume in the U.S. It's clearly still going to be Tesla. Then it'll, it's probably going to be the Hyundai Kia group. And it, it might be Rivian is like third, right? Like, like, like Rivian is, is crushing it. Like they're, they're, um, uh, the, the big boxy SUV is now outselling the, the R1T, the pickup, right? So oh, the moment the R2S comes out, their little SUV. Oh, oh my, my God, God. They're going to kill it. They're absolutely oh, going to kill it. Model yeah. Y and that will be side by side as being the highest selling vehicles. If they can just get to volume and keep things. And the fact that they switched to using Tesla's connector. And there's kind of like, all right, start 2025. Here's yeah. what we're doing. It makes Rivian all the more compelling. Uh, and they keep improving on their software on a regular basis. And you, you see owners talking about it regularly. And it's, it's just over the air, simple, easy, gosh, gee shucks, it works. Yeah. And that's another area where the legacy brands are still, they're kind of like two steps forward, one step back on the software side on a regular basis. Um, so I agree with you, Lauren. I think that it's yeah. all of a sudden, you know, the Hyundai Motor Group, it just, again, it was kind of like for the people that, maybe weren't paying attention to the Hyundai Kia brands. Everywhere you go in a major metro market on the coast right now, Seattle, yeah. San Francisco, Portland, LA, San Diego. They're everywhere. York, yeah. Oh my gosh. You're just like, and then there's another Anik 5. There's another Anik 5. There's another EV6. So oh, you give them a lot of credit there. But even with those products, you still see owners talking about, man, I wish the software was better. Right. Like great, great driving dynamics, great build quality. But there's some areas where there's gaps. But they are at least answering more questions than some of the other brands that are having to pivot. Um, to their credit, so yeah, can they keep up? Yeah, and and you know, Volvo and Polestar are are doing really well. Like uh, you know, so there's 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 a different story depending on who you talk to, right? Yeah. Uh, for for GMs, oh, nobody wants EVs. Meanwhile, all these other automakers are going. You know, we're killing it. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> so we can't keep. Yeah, we can't keep making enough. So. It gets back to brand, you know, brand alignment with the yeah. type of demographics that buy your product. Exactly, exactly. And so I, I cannot blame Ford and GM for saying, we're going to build the best electric trucks out there and you're going to see it happen. And to their credit, they brought, you know, Ford especially, look what they did yeah. pretty quickly with, with both Maki and Lightning. But it still gets back to, is it actually bringing those existing buyers you've had 
with a belief and trust in the Ford brand or the GM brand to be electrified? Or are you gathering in new customers that may have never bought a Ford before, but they're like, yeah, I'd really like is an electric truck. Yeah. And I think that may be more so what occurred, but then they're having this competing uh, the brand alignment with their core customers. And what are they willing to give and take on that? And that's, again, we're at the beginning of this conversation. And the shakeout is going to be very interesting in the next decade. So I love it. Yeah. I, I, I'm here for it. I think we, going back to the movie theater reference, where's the popcorn? Because, you know, we're, <laughs> you know, you've done such a good job, Lauren, just adopting this early. And, you know, we're, we didn't really talk about your business, but anybody listening to this is obviously interested in the, in the conversation. And it's just progressed. It, and just the dialogue keeps going. There's no perfect answer. There's no perfect solution because, you know, like I said, I borrowed that TRD Pro Sequoia. The tank was tiny. Like it, it just, it was a great car, twin turbo, hybrid V6, right? But the car is beautiful. It's rad, damn near $90,000, but I got, I have to stop and wow. get, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a great car. I mean, the fit and finish, it's what you've come to expect from Toyota, right? Yeah. So I, I have a Tundra. My wife has an X6. My son, we bought him a Toyota Corolla five door. Um, he's going to go to college, you know, next year. That's our lineup. We're strictly ice right now. Uh, electric, you know, I, I may be considering it for my next car, but I'd rather get a Porsche that I can't fit in. Um, like, <laughs> but um, Taycan's a great I know, Porsche. Taycan <laughs> is great. I know. And I know my buddy, Mark Arsenal has got a beautiful one, but I mean, I'd love to step up to like the e-tron, you know, my buddy, I'd love to have him here on the yeah. podcast, Matt, my buddy. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. Brendan yeah, Steineker. I'll, I'll... He, he's a drummer for, uh, he's a drummer for Rancid. And uh, he has an e-tron. He got one when Ken Block got one. The GT? And the, yeah. And I, yeah, you know, that I, is a sweet car. Sick. And it's and in sick. fact, I just saw um, uh, Brandon Flash. A lot of people know, know Brandon. Uh, posted some screenshots on Twitter the other day of, of you can now pick up a used one for like 55 grand. And stuff. What? Yeah. And I'm like, no. oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Really? It's like, That's 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 a Taycan and Audi skin, and arguably it might be more attractive in some people's eyes. And the stamp, like the the I think it's on that. I think it's better looking myself. It is a yeah. killer yeah. car. Yeah, but that's, yeah, I mean, the Etron GT. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, all how, in. How, all right. How, so we we why don't we do we could do a we could do a, a fractional ownership here. What's that? Twenty, <laughs> you know, about twenty thousand a piece, right? We get it. it. We could we yeah, each, we, we get could. it four months of the year. I am in. <laughs> So I welcome love- to the EV Timeshare podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love this, man. And Lauren, just to kind of bookend it, you know, you talked about the coast. We talk about um, the buying experience, the shopping experience, the the charging stations, uh, you know, oil companies, BP, fueling stations, investing in this. Break down what EV adoption is, just so we can kind of bookend it, put an exclamation point on anybody that's listening you know, between Matt, Lauren and myself, we, we kind of all have these different from marketing yep. to just trying to be a hype man. And, you know, I'm the mean gene in this whole wrestling space right now. But uh, but Lauren, uh, give me the woo. Yeah, I mean, EV adoption simply is we're, we're all about the data, right? So think of us as like a, a data and analyst firm. And uh, our core business is we sell EV and EV charging data. So on the EV side, everything from EV sales, you know, VIO, sales by state, uh, model information, uh, sales by model, et cetera, and forecast. A lot of this is out forecast. And then on the sort of the data subscription side, um, right now we're just, we're actually spending almost all of our time 
on uh, the Nevi program. So we've built a database where we track all the uh, the RFPs and the awards and like literally hundreds of database fields uh, tracking uh, what's going on with, with the Nevi program. And uh, that's, that's just exploded. And uh, we're working with literally all the major brands in the convenience store chain space and the hardware space, et cetera. Um, Cause they're all trying to get a piece of that $5 billion. And uh, we, we help them understand uh, what's going on. So, yeah, the national electric vehicle infrastructure, $5 billion program provide dedicated funding to States strategically develop and deploy EV charging. I just got, I have to break it down. I'm just looking, break you, it know, down. you brought acronyms and just, Again, you talk about keep it simple, stupid. There's I think I, exp- I think I brought it up early on in the podcast, oh, way back an hour ago. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we start all, all three of us start going on tangents. Pew 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 pew. No, I I, I think it's great, um, Matt. Anything else you want to add? Again, we're trying to trying to just keep it tight and right. But I love this as we went no. through many different categories. Yeah, I think, well, again, what this conversation proves again and again is there's so much to unpack when it comes to what's yeah. happening in this space. And I think that those who are listening, whether you're just a consumer and you're trying to get information as it relates to EVs, there's a lot to be to be learned. But at the end of the day, you need to know confidently that this vehicle that you're choosing to buy can work for your driving needs. And I think what Lauren's work in and what he's done with EV adoption is, is really providing a landscape for is for those who are players in the space that need to understand what's happening on behalf of how they can fit in. And then also how that information can then be leveraged in order to make for the best business solutions decisions. in the long run yeah, yeah for businesses. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that that's where, at the end of the day, that results in impacting consumers and drivers. And so it's a very, very connected ecosystem that oftentimes there's a lot to unpack. So it can get kind of, you know, feels like there's a bunch of cobwebs, can get kind of overwhelming. But at the end of the day, there is connection points. And I think what Lauren's doing with his work at EV Adoption is really fundamental. Yeah, no, great, and and you, you, sh- I should hire you as uh, uh, head of sales or whatever it is. But uh, but I think you 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 and true to Matt, like he's 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 the great branding customer experience guy. But he sort of nailed it. Like I think one of the things that's our core value proposition is really bringing together sort of the EV data and the EV charging data, right? And bringing that together. And that's what, um, you know, most other companies out there aren't doing that. They're focused on the EV sales side or the EV charging side. And we're actually doing both and bringing it together. And that's where you can make better sense of what what's actually going on, which is I think what we spent the last hour talking about is really peeling back the headlines, which many of them are actually getting it wrong right now, what's actually going on. And and, yeah. and that's at the end of the day, I'm not a pro EV person. I mean, I'm, I'm on my third EV, et cetera. What I'm about is is the truth, right? Is what I'm about is, is finding out what's the right answer and the best path to actually getting to fewer carbon emissions and lowering GHGs. And yeah. uh all BEVs is not the fastest way to get there. I mean, we could have spent a whole hour just talking about that. Uh, as we can see, we're only at 1%, right? So yeah. clearly people are choosing other types of vehicles. So we need to make those other vehicles, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, et cetera, that, that you know, produce fewer emissions so we can Pl- get them. Plug-in hybrid trucks, I think. Right, actually, that's the secret sauce, baby, right there. And yeah. I think that's what Ram... You know, Ram is talking about a like a range extender plug-in hybrid. I think that's exactly maybe Toyota. You know, hopefully yeah. Toyota will come yeah. out with some plug-in hybrid trucks and you know, with 40, 40 to fifty miles of of range and and kill mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. 
I love it. The conversation, we could keep going. But again, Lauren, we'll have to have you back on. Matt, thank you once again. I feel like you're the EV Snopes. You know, you look up something, <laughs> it's like, right? You're like, this EV Snopes is what I'm really kind go. of yeah, boiling I love it down it. to. So thank you so much, Lauren. Again, check out EV Adoption for those that are investing into EV. Get the right information, doing the research as Lauren and his team. Matt, thank you once again um, for just breaking it all down. Thanks for having us. Yep. Yep. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.